Are you confused about the conflicting advice out there about women's fitness and health? Hey, we've all been there. And hopefully, we're moving towards reliable ways made for women. The Fit Bitch Unlock podcast is dedicated to bring you real and raw truth around training, functional medicine, female-specific health, and more fitness knowledge backed by science and research. Hosted by Trisha Yap, functional medicine health coach, personal trainer, and me, Emily Tan. I'm a movement coach, a sexuality consultant in training, and a functional medicine health coach in training. These series also include guests who are physiotherapists, strength coaches, and experts in their field, sports athletes, and life athletes, like single parents, retired professionals, chronic illness, battlers, etc. From evidence-based knowledge to first-hand experience, from nutrition to sexual health, we keep this space free of the BS. You deserve to hear this. I gotta say, I have not been sleeping that well in the past week due to an injury, and I certainly feel much, a whole lot different than how I used to feel, you know, teenage years and early 20s, where you could sleep an hour and still function like no other. And that got me thinking. I definitely don't work out the same either when I was at that age compared to today, purely because I feel like I need a whole lot more time to recover, and to do other things that you now have to do in life past your 30s. So you have been in the industry for a long time. You've trained men and women of all ages, from teens up to like over 50s. From your perspective, as well as your own personal experience, why should our workouts look different past our 30s? Well, first of all, I think you hit it on the head, like right in the get-go, right? So you can only train as hard as you can recover. And that means more than just giving it a rest. You know, you work out and then you rest and then you go back at it the next day. It's, it's very, very different in your 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. Um, I know that for a fact in your 20s, you can afford to be quite selfish. You, you know, for most... Um, Men and women in their 20s, we have a lot less responsibility. Uh, we have more time for ourselves. You can have more time to um, even sleep, for example. So there's, you know, you don't have kids waking you up in the middle of the night. Um, your uh, capacity, your, your ability to sleep, to get into a deeper sleep is much better because there's, let's face it, your body is younger, right? Mm -hmm. So as we age, Okay, our ability to recover decreases. Okay, and it's not any one reason. Um, it's not just because you're getting old. It's not that. It's because there's, there's, um, you know, there's the body aging cellularly, right, on a cellular level. But there's also more responsibility. There's more roles that you have. And one of the things that I ask clients when they come in is, how many roles and responsibilities do you actually have outside of your job? Right? And the older you are, the more roles you actually do have, the more hats you constantly have to put on, take off, put on, take off. And this definitely affects our ability to recover. So whether that is sleep, whether that's our adrenal output, okay, whether that's our cellular processes, the food choices that we make, um, you know, imagine that in your if you're, so if you're a 40-year-old female with multiple children, you've, you're at the peak of your career, you're peaking in your career, right? It's a lot to, there's a, there's a lot on your plate, 
going in, training without a warm-up, which, you know, we all did. Let's face it, we all did when we were in our 20s. I remember that I would just, you know, put on a pair of shoes and go. It's like, warm-up, what warm-up? Um, right? So making sure that you're adequately warming up, making sure that you're more mobile, you're right, mobility decreases also as we age. Okay, the, then it, again, it's the disease of sitting. The majority of us, we sit to do our jobs. Okay, that's not necessarily the best uh, position to be in. Okay, uh, And then looking at, well, is this workout going to destroy me? Okay, In the sense that, are you going to be in a puddle on the floor, crying, sweating, and then you're going home, and all of a sudden you're starving and you're binge eating? We work with a lot of people who used to train that way, and they think that they can train the same way in their 20s, notwithstanding injuries. Okay, so if you're not adequately recovered, your risk of injury has increased. But also if you're not adequately recovered, that's going to impact your ability to handle other things. So who here trains really hard, goes home, and bang, there's, a, you know, there's that one piece of chocolate, the second piece of chocolate, the third piece of chocolate, right? Because in the, the serotonin gap in your brain might be depleted so much. And your workout probably was just a, maybe the cherry on the top of the, the straw that broke comes back on that. And you're going home and you're, you're just going, right, I really need something to pick me up. So part and parcel of as you get older, uh, also from an anti-aging perspective, resistance training or strength-based training has been shown right, to turn over mitochondria more. So you want to keep your mitochondria young. You want to have that constant renewal. They're your factories for energy production. So the more you can turn over the mitochondria that keeps you young, the younger you, you, you feel you are, you have more energy. So there's that as well. And again, not to mention, um, when women hit postmenopause, that's when muscle mass decreases massively, right? We see significant decreases there, or it becomes very hard to put on muscle. As men age, uh, there's, you know, there's, again, another big topic coming up, andropause, low testosterone, Etc. So again, you see that decrease in muscle mass. And when you hit your 60s, 70s and beyond, it's really about having that men, having maintain um, a, a good, healthy uh, amount of lean muscle mass because your risks, you know, at 20 versus 70, your, your risks are very different. You know, um, one is about one is about body composition aesthetics. The other one, it's like, wow, I just don't want to fall on my face when I go down the stairs. Or to, I just want to move. I just want to move without pain. I want to move without the anxiety of pain. I just want to remove the word pain overall. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, it would be nice to not have the clicks, the, the rice krispies in your shoulder. Um, the, you know, that constant neck pain, for example, that I know a lot of people when they come in, uh, they complain about, they say, look, I just want this pain to go away. That's something I noticed quite a bit as well while working in gyms. For women, typically, generally, they would come in, they understand something is off in their bodies, but they would, I wouldn't say take it easy, but they would actually ask, hey, can we modify this in a way that it doesn't hurt or it doesn't make it worse. We're a lot more cautious when it comes to that. It's almost like innately we're trying to preserve our bodies for survival. Look, and I think it ties back to the roles that we carry. We understand that our roles are, look, I got kids. I got to take care of my parents at home. I, I have the role of a caregiver. I need to ensure that I can fulfill that role. 
so I can't get injured or I can't make this worse. Whereas for the male clients, it's it's different. When they when they come in, it's almost like they straddle something internally themselves where I have to fulfill the role of I'm tough, nothing can nothing can hurt me. I would be weak if I admit this is actually affecting me more than I'm than it than I'm showing. It's funny because I actually don't feel it's gender specific. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this because I in the with men and the women that I have trained, I think it's actually down to the type of personalities. So there are certain types of personalities, uh, you know, the, the type A guys and girls, right, who I wouldn't say even push past pain. They just have really high pain tolerances. And the fact that there's, you know, there's been things in their lives that it makes it seem as if, you know, I can't stop now. You know, this is, this is, uh, it's, and it's not even about no pain, no gain for them. I think there, there is an element of that, but there's also an element of like, oh, I've, I've just trained myself to not feel pain. So they, they push through without, sometimes without knowing that they're pushing through. Um, and it's because they're, they're overachievers. They, they want to achieve, right? So they've set a goal. They want to achieve that. Um, and then you have the guys that, and women who are like, okay, no, hang on a second. This doesn't feel weird. So, you know, can we, can we hold back a little bit? And I really do feel that it's part and parcel of that uh, personality type, maybe neurotransmitter profile, you know, the dopamine dominant people versus someone who's more GABA, serotonin dominant. Um, and this maybe affects how they respond to uh, things like pain or things like, uh, you know, or just challenges in general. Um, what I think I see maybe the most is is that when it when it hurts when when there's pain maybe there's also partially a denial that there's pain you know it's like okay this hurts i am injured potentially but i don't want to be injured because i still have this goal to achieve so i'm just going to block it out and persevere because they've been rewarded in the past for perseverance so I, I, maybe that's it. Um, you know, I, I, once again, psychology is such a, you know, it's a major can of worms. Um, but I think that's, I think that's where it goes. And, and in our, in sessions, I'm always asking people, you know, when, when we say, Hey, how much does it hurt on a scale of one where there's no pain at all, right to 10 where you need morphine and the same type of injury for different people, you get totally different, um, responses you know some people who who really do feel pain they're like oh my god this is a 10 i can't handle it anymore and then you have the other people who you know may have the same ankle sprain and they're like meh it's a three maybe a four when i put my weight on it um so it's hard to gauge i think from a coaching perspective i gauge when i feel that there's a technical failure or there's a there's a technical issue with their movement so if i look at them and maybe they're not registering pain um in their face but that movement seems to not be as fluid as before to there's something wrong with it i usually say hey let's stop um let's have a think about this right should we push on um and we reevaluate and reassess from there
I think this highlights the importance of experience. These are not necessarily things that you can learn from a weekend certification course or even like a six-week certification course. The time in the course is being taken up by teaching you theory and practical, uh, practical assessments, practical tools, but not necessarily a bit of psychology, a bit of connecting with your clients on a different level and a deeper level in this case. It would be so easy for any personal trainer, any coach to chalk it up to, oh, it's a dude, oh, so of course he's going to do this. Oh, it's a girl. Of course, I'll just do this for her because she's a girl. It's so easy to dismiss all the other things that personalize the essence of this craft, and we call this personal training. I think that is such an important tool, not just to have an in-depth conversation with your client, of course, with consent, but understanding why we use assessments as our tools of evaluation and to go maybe a step further or a step more in the right direction. And that is functional lab testing. Now the first time times, cause I did a few, the first few times I did functional lab testing it, I felt empowered. I felt empowered with a little, you know, sprinkle of being overwhelmed. And this belief, like, I can't believe I'm high in arsenic and where does high arsenic might come from? Well, from eating a lot of uh, not great quality rice. Oh, damn, I'm Asian. I eat rice. <laughs> so, you know, it's those little moments of like, how much of my lifestyle do I actually have to change here? But my point is, some people might feel, actually some people do feel when I share with them that I did testing, is they think that that's overrated. That's like over the top. That's a waste of money. I personally don't think it's a waste of money, but I do think they're, they're, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of over-testing and testing everything and letting that consume you. So where yeah. do you draw the line? Oh, it's a hard question. Um, I think that when you, if you, if the things that you were doing, right? So if you, if you say, okay, I make uh, some minor goals or mini goals, not minor, mini goals to be a little bit healthier because maybe your ultimate goal is more towards that optimal health uh, diet and lifestyle, right? And you're doing some of the things that, you know, you're being advised to do. This, and again, this is the classic, you know, I'm eating clean. I'm getting my training sessions in. I'm training. I'm moving. I'm being very conscious of doing that. I'm trying to improve my sleep. So you, you're doing all the right things, but yet something is not right. That could be a physical symptom like continued bloating. That could be um, abdominal cramps uh, post having a meal. It could be uh, you know you're, you're doing all these right things. You've 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 changed a lot of your lifestyle as opposed to what you were living before, but you're not seeing any results in terms of, uh, is your, you know, do you feel that brain fog is lifting? Um, is your skin clearer? Do you have more energy? Right? Can you wake up with energy? Are you, if you did all that and nothing has changed or very few things have changed, then I would say look towards what you can, what you can test. Of course, there are different tests for different things, okay? So if you feel stressed, anxious, you have a, a very little ability to cope with the same amount of stresses that you did before, uh, you might find that 
you're putting on a lot of belly fat, um, women, your menstrual cycle's out, or maybe you feel that um, you know, there's something wrong with your, your, your period in general, you're getting maybe more mood swings um, or more pain or uh, spotting as opposed to a, you know, to a, a f- actual flow, then you might look towards, okay, maybe I'll, I'll look towards doing a Dutch test. The more I kind of tick certain boxes. Um, if it's bloating, abdominal cramping, a lot of uh, gut-related symptoms, right, feeling full, getting acid reflux, and, and this is prolonged and chronic, you can't get rid of it, then I'd look towards doing a GIMAP and so on and so forth. And to also work with a professional on, on that one. A lot of the times when I do run I, any of these tests, uh, whether it's a, um, it's a GPL mold toxicity test or a GI map or a Dutch test, we always see, we always do find quite a few markers that could correspond to the symptoms that someone is feeling, right, or experiencing. In very rare cases, we may find surprise things. So, uh, you know, and, and we talked about it a little bit earlier before we switched on record. And uh, I have a client that came back with a a marker for um, hidden blood or occult blood, and I referred on to a gastroenterologist for a um, colonoscopy and endoscopy, and it's come back with a you know very early detection of a tumor, um, because that occult blood marker is also a it's a it's a colon cancer marker. So you know it it's you can go, definitely go and do too much, um, especially in one hit. So. Uh, maybe unlike a lot of practitioners, I don't like sending somebody and doing uh, $40,000, $50,000 worth of tests. I try to understand historically where this person has, what this person has done, where they've come from, what their struggles have been, what are their current symptoms. And then we talk about whether or not they want to embark on testing, what testing could be potentially relevant on based on their individual and unique cases and then we go from there and and in this case you know we we it was a, obviously no one likes to hear that they have a tumor but the fact that we managed to catch something very early on i think that was that's super powerful to do you know it's a it's a fine balancing act i think it definitely is a fine balancing act and it takes a level of guidance. Uh, I, I reckon if I didn't have guidance, I probably would have gone on a rabbit hole of, oh, while I'm here, let me test everything. And I actually spent about 30,000 Hong Kong in, on tests out of yeah. the pocket. Yeah. But I mean, that, that was desperate times. So I, I had a different you know, health situation at the time. How about for those who are actually skeptical? They are skeptical about tests I think maybe for several reasons. One, they may not want to actually know. They might already experience anxiety around their health, and the last thing they need to know is confirmation of what they fear. Well, then are they prepared? Right? Do they want to work on it? What is psychologically holding them back? It just might be that they're not ready. Right? And and again, you know, it's funny because. I was thinking about the term personal training. Uh, a lot of people are willing to train, but unwilling to be coached. So mm. are they ready for that personal coaching or do they just want to train? Do they just want someone they can just outsource 
the training aspect. They just want someone who would, you know what, create a program. I don't want to talk. I just want to know what you want me to do, and I'll do it. They want to execute. They are probably in the role where they have to lead and plan a lot in their life. And they just want an outlet where they don't have to do any of that. And they just want to execute. Yeah, yeah because look, health is difficult. Especially if you are coming from a lifestyle where you know health might not necessarily be present all the time, right? And the more you go towards that health, you have new decisions to make. You have to change your environment potentially. You have to add certain things, take away certain things. It is overwhelming. So testing can be overwhelming. Um, but I think what I encourage people to do is that the older you are and the more physical symptoms that you feel are holding you back from living your life optimally, if you're wondering what the root causes are and you're not tackling and you're already trying to tackle them without much progress, then I absolutely do encourage for you to, to check in. And whether that's checking in through functional lab testing or even working for, uh, working with a coach, perhaps for the first time, or again, after a long time, or even, or even changing, it's okay to change over to a different coach because we change ourselves. Yeah. Our goals change. We have a different perspective. Our energies might also shift a little, and sometimes chemistry change. Exactly, and uh, for a lot of people who are over forty or or forty five, fifty, you know, if you haven't gone in to do a just a, a you know a, a standard blood test, uh, a medical checkup. Right. A lot of people don't actually do that. It's, it's quite funny when you ask them, have you done this? And, no, I don't think I need it. Uh, so, you know, it, it's there um, for a reason. And if you want to take it further, then you take it further. If things come back and everything's absolutely fine, then that's, uh, you know, that's great. You've checked. You've, you've, you've done a little bit of due diligence because it's really easy, particularly for the people who have the personalities of caretakers they're looking after everybody else but themselves you know you don't necessarily want to wait for a diagnosis before you embark or start your journey by that time it wouldn't be prevention better than cure anymore it would be how are we going to patch the holes in this sinking boat (laughs) yeah and how are we going to repair and and hopefully, it, you know, it's, it's 100% or 99% and then you can get back on, on with life. And nobody wants to pause life because of, uh, of, of, of potentially um, what could be a terminal diagnosis. And we see this, I, I don't know if it's because I'm upping into a life stage, but there are a lot of people around me who are getting pretty shocking diagnoses. And, um, and it makes me think... Uh, whether okay right maybe yeah I should I should test and and even for myself I was like oh testing's expensive um, <laughs> you know and you you know what I was like it is more expensive to try and patch it up right than to actually test if you need any form of reference here uh, my bill for cancer 
has been over two million Hong Kong for like wow. the longest time. If I did not have insurance, I don't think I would have been able to afford anything. And that's two million on the insurance side. I haven't even included how much it costs out of my pocket. So yeah, I would say definitely prevention better than cure for both financially as well as your buddy. And you know what? It's funny how the conversation went this way purely because we wanted to look at, wait a minute, how should my workouts be different after I'm 30? It started with a bit of reflection and that is taking into account my body is changing. The environment also has an impact. Yes. So I think in the future episode, we will touch on how you and I experience health differently, how our bodies experience it differently when we are in a city, fast we say to link Hong Kong with high pollution versus Europe. Thank you guys for tuning in. Catch you guys in the next one.